Let's have a word of prayer together before we um, think about those verses. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Speak to us. We are hungry and thirsty to hear your voice and to hear your word speaking, your word that brings life. May our hearts and minds be attentive to you this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I, um, as I may have said on occasion before, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan when it comes to camping. I don't know if any, any, any fans of camping? Yeah, you may have a campsite. Do you actually enjoy camping? No, no, you see the difference. So, so I'm, not a big, I'm not a big fan of camping, and I actually think there's something quite, quite biblical about not being a fan of camping, because when you look at the kind of journey through the Old Testament, uh, God begins in a tent, but as soon as he can, he moves into a building. And I think there's, a, there's real wisdom in that, because why would you not live in a building with running water and flush toilets? Given the, given the option in the Old Testament, God starts in a, a, you know, a tent of meeting and he travels around in a tent. And then it uh, gets to a point where he thinks, nah, I'm going to have myself a building. So, sorry, that's slightly, um, slightly facetious. But I'm not a, big fan of, not a big fan of camping. The last few years, I've tolerated a week's camping to go to new wine but it's definitely a means to an end and not an end in itself because it's just a lot of hard work isn't it putting up a putting up a tent and you have to go and you know you have to go and fetch water from a tap and carry it and water's heavy it's just it's not for me but one of the things that we have when we go camping is a gas lamp which I'm always slightly afraid of because I'm never quite sure it's not going to explode. But we have this kind of gas lamp, which does give out a lot of light. And generally, we have this sort of camping table in the middle of the tent. And I put the lamp on the table, and it gives out a certain amount of light from that position. But usually, um, Miriam complains that she can't, still can't see what she's doing in her little bedroom pod. So on the ceiling of the tent, it's a big tent. It's like, if some of you have seen it, it's... Um, we, you know, when we did have to do tenting, we didn't do it small, we did it large. So, so it's like seven feet to the ceiling in the middle, and it's, it's like enormous. You can get most of the Israelites in on a rainy day. But, so it's like a huge, but there is a hook in the ceiling of the tent where you can hang the lamp. And when you hang the lamp from the, this little hook, um, not only is there more chance of it setting fire to the roof of the tent, but until it does that, you can actually see... Pretty much everything in the tent. And that's the whole point of having a lamp in a dark place. And you have to imagine in the time of Jesus, you know, there's no electric light on a dark night when it's cloudy. You can't see the moon and there's no stars. It is pitch black. And so if you have a lamp and it'd be a little fluttery oil lamp, you want to have it as visible as possible. You want it to illuminate as much as it possibly can. And that's the point of what Jesus is saying, saying no one lights a lamp and hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed. That's just stupid. That's not what you do with a lamp. You light a lamp in order that people can see it. And Jesus is saying, look, God has lit a lamp. God has placed a light in the world. And the whole point of the light is not just that it illuminates everything around it, but also that you see the light. Those who come in can see the light. It's not just that the light illuminates everything. Actually, you want to see the light. There's a famous quote of from um, C.S. Lewis. Uh, you may know this quote. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not, because, not only because I see it, but also because by it, 
I see everything else. That's what God has done in Jesus. He's given us a light to see, but when we see that light, it also changes the way we see everything else, which takes us back to putting Jesus in the middle. Because when Jesus is in the middle of your life, then you see everything more clearly. You think immediately the beginning of John's gospel. It's the great, one of the great um, analogies that Jesus, um, that John uses to describe Jesus, the light of the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is speaking about himself as the light of the world, coming into a dark world to illuminate the darkness of that world, and so that people might come to him and see him. But what follows from that is that those of us who follow Jesus Christ and the church as a whole should also shine as brightly. We are designed to shine in a dark world. We are designed to be beacons of hope. We are designed to display in our own lives the likeness of Jesus. Paul wrote uh, to the church in, in Philippi, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, that we should shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. He says, if you, if you follow Jesus, then you should be a bright, shiny star that people, people's attention is drawn to you because there's something different about the way that you live your life. And what's different about the way that you live your life is because Jesus is a bright, shiny star at the center of your life. And in your life, you display his glory. So how does that make us feel when we think, well, actually, that's what we're supposed to be like. If we're followers of Jesus, we are supposed to be shiny stars for Jesus. Uh, how do we feel to be about being bold about our faith? Are we proud to be known as Christians or is it something that we tend to keep a bit quiet? Would we be would we feel awkward if um, if our friends you know, or families knew that we were Christians in our places of work? Is it something we kind of keep a bit quiet because we'd be embarrassed if people knew that we were Christians. Paul says, no, we're supposed to shine like stars because God has placed in the middle of the world his son Jesus, the light of the world. And that light is supposed to pour out of us. We are supposed to be these lamps that are held up high. Does the difference that Jesus has made in our lives spill out? Are we so excited and so grateful for the difference that Jesus makes in our lives that we, we almost can't help but tell other people about it? Uh, I remember when my, um, or my, uh, when Esther was born, uh, she's 24 now, so that's quite a long time ago, but I remember when she was born in the old days before mobile telephones, uh, we were completely unprepared for her I mean, not completely unprepared. We knew, we knew something was happening, but we weren't prepared. We were kind of going with the due date, and for the only time in her life, she arrived early. And, uh, so if you're watching, love. Uh, so she arrived early, 11 days early, and we weren't prepared for that event. And, uh, so on the morning when Sarah went into labour, I suddenly had this part. I thought, oh my goodness, when she's born, there are lots of people that were going to want to tell about it. So I'm going to need a big bag of loose change for the payphone. Remember payphones? Some of you, some, one of you don't know what I'm talking about. But payphones, you had to put money in. 
And uh, so I went to the post office and tried to catch a, cash a cheque, and the miserable postmaster, if you're watching, um, it's fine, it's a long time ago, let that, let that, that's water under the bridge, you're alright, Jesus still loves you. But the miserable man wouldn't cash a cheque, so then I had to go to the garage, and I'm, like, I'm literally in the queue at the garage, asking people for change. I did explain why. I wasn't just kind of homeless. I was, you know, I was looking for change because I knew I've got good news in a minute or several hours that I want to tell people about. I'm not going to want to keep it quiet. And if the birth of a baby is that much good news, then how much is the discovery of someone who gives you eternal life? That's what we want. To, so we have to kind of get over this, um, this thing in us that we kind of keep our light hidden. We keep our Christianity hidden. We hide it. There is opposition. You will get mocked. You will get ridiculed. People will misunderstand. But this is the word of life that we are talking about. And it's always been the case. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah had a terrible time telling people about the word of God because people didn't want to hear it. And at one point, Jeremiah says, he has a couple of points where he just, he has a rant at God. Because he says, this is so unfair. I'm getting such a hard time and all I'm doing is telling people about you. What's that all about? And he says, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. So even though Jeremiah's like, I just wish I didn't have to do this. It's such good news. He can't hold it in. There's an occasion in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John have been arrested. They've been thrown into prison for telling people about Jesus because the authorities don't like it. And so the authorities are like, well, what are we going to do with you? And they say, okay, well, we'll let you go as long as you don't tell anybody about Jesus. So you can go on your way. Just don't stop telling people about Jesus. It's really annoying us. And uh, they say, well, look, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help ourselves. So the question is, do we, have we experienced the difference that Jesus makes in our lives? Have we really experienced the profound difference that Jesus makes in our lives? Can we look back and see, actually... Jesus has completely transformed my life. He's completely changed who I am. He's given me a hope for the future that I couldn't get from anywhere else. He is such good news to me. I just want to tell people about that. Because he is so lovely. And he is so precious. And he is so wonderful. It's of all the good news, all the lovely things that I have to tell other people about, he's the best. Is he the fire that burns in our hearts and our lives. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. We need to let our light shine brightly. Four, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. At this point in the story, Jesus himself, or at least his true identity, is still being revealed. The the apostles and the disciples they, they haven't got it yet. They, at this point, they don't understand who Jesus truly is. They think he's good news. They want to be like him. They're hanging out with him. They've left their jobs to follow him. They know that he's got some amazing 
uh, things to say about how to live life and that he teaches with authority. They know that he's a miracle worker, but they still don't quite, haven't worked out who he is. It's not until the next chapter, chapter 9, verse 20, where Jesus says to the apostles straight out, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ of God. You're the anointed one of God. You're the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. But at this point, they're still, you know, they're still working it out. And when we think about our, our own lives and our own journey of faith, that's what it's like. We, we don't understand everything that there is to understand about Jesus in one go. There's not one sudden day where we suddenly, oh, I've got everything about Jesus. I've got it all nailed down. No, we kind of, like with this thing at the beginning, we kind of begin now here with kind of an awareness that, that Jesus actually exists. But then there's this journey of him becoming more and more central. In uh, Paul's famous letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that beautiful passage on love and what perfect love looks like. At the end of that passage, Paul says this. Um, He says, now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. And we need to get the context of that because we think, oh, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. And um, sometimes, you know, we get up in the morning and we stagger into the bathroom, we look into the mirror and we wish it was a poor reflection. But actually, we look in our mirrors and we see exactly what is there. And then we, you know, then we have to spend some time improving things. So you have to remember that in the first century, you didn't have glass mirrors that had polished metal. That was their mirror. It was polished metal. So even highly polished metal, you get a poor reflection. That's what Paul is talking about. As much as we may discover of Jesus in this life, it'll always be something hidden. There'll always be a poor reflection. We'll always be gazing, looking for more. What we look forward to, Paul says, one day we will see him face to face. One day. That's what I'm looking forward to so much. That's why Paul says in um, 2 Corinthians, where he's having a... If you've, if you've not read 1 and 2 Corinthians kind of together, they're such different letters. Because in 2 Corinthians, Paul has been through the most appalling time of his life. He thought he was going to lose his life. He has been really tested to the limit and he writes in 2 Corinthians he says he says I would I wish I could go home and be with the Lord I wish I I just want to go home and see him face to face but actually it's better that I stay here that's what we're looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face but always in this life there's always more to discover Always more to discover. Stuff is hidden that is gradually being revealed. But it's not just the Jesus who is gradually being revealed to us. That's kind of the good news. The slightly um, uh, not so good news is that he knows everything about us. There's nothing in our lives that is hidden from God. Our every thought, everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done, he knows it all. And... um, Whenever I think about that, I sort of squirm inwardly and I'm very pleased that he's the only one who knows everything I've ever thought, said and done. Because if anybody else in this world knew everything I've ever thought, said and done, I would uh, dig a big hole in the garden and just bury myself in it and... uh, I guess if you are honest with yourselves, you would probably be the same because you know what you're like. Nothing is hidden from God, which kind of, it takes us to that moment of, oh, 
that's terrible. But then in Jesus, it takes us that wonderful thing of, yeah, but you still love me. That's the, isn't that the extraordinary thing about God's grace? That he knows everything about us and he says, I still love you. Let, let me help you fix all of that stuff. Uh, that's uh, Paul himself came to that wonderful moment. Again, if, uh, in his letter to the Romans, there's a bit in the end of Romans 7 where he says, I just can't do the right thing. I know the right thing to do and I just can't do it. Who will rescue me from this wretched body of death? And then that um, beginning of chapter 8 of Romans, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of Jesus. He knows, we can't hide from him. He knows us what, he knows what we're like. But he says there's no condemnation in Jesus for those of us who know. Why? Because all of that stuff that we've done, that we wish we hadn't done, it all went to the cross. And it was all dealt with on the cross. That's why there's no condemnation. Not because we're good enough, but because he's good enough. And he went to the cross for us. So he knows everything about us. It has um, already, in his eyes, been brought out into the open. Uh, in another Paul's letters, his letter to the Ephesians, he has this advice, and it's great advice for us. Chapter five, verse eight. He says, "He says you were once in darkness. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth." And find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. How do you find out what pleases the Lord? Well, you read this book. Because this book tells us what pleases the Lord. He doesn't leave us to guess. He says, well, I've told you everything you need. So if you want to live a life in the light that pleases the Lord, read the book. Because it's all in there. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Uh, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He goes on, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit. Sing, unless you're living through a coronavirus pandemic, and make music from your heart, which you can do during a coronavirus pandemic, to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God has put a great light in the world, the light of his son, Jesus Christ. And that light illuminates everything in our lives. He knows everything. So, verse 18, consider carefully... How you will listen. Consider, in other words, God has done something and you need to do something about it. It's like your house is on fire, you need to call the fire brigade. Your boat is sinking, you need to get in a lifeboat. Because God has sent his son to be a light in the world and nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed. Therefore, listen carefully to what he says. And respond. And the more you listen and the more you respond, the more you will receive and the more you will grow in your relationship with him. If you don't listen carefully, even what you think you have, you will lose. We go back to my um, little piece of string, which um, uh, 
You've done the research. If you think that this life, a little bit on the black, if that's all you focus on, if that's all you're thinking about, if you don't give any attention to what Jesus says, and you think, well, I'll live, I'll live my life as happily and successfully as I can, Jesus says, well, you, you'll lose, even what you think you've got, you're going to lose it. You'll lose everything. Jesus says, listen to me, and then you get everything. You get eternal life. You gain eternal life. Just the last couple of verses. Uh, just this little thing with um, Jesus' mother and brothers come to see him. They can't get near him because of the crowd. And Jesus is told, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He says, my bro- mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Uh, we sometimes say that blood is thicker than water. You know, family ties are more important than any others. And in, in certain parts of the world, family ties are, are, are really, really significant. They are your first priority beyond anything else, even more than perhaps you know, we might think of them in our own Western culture, in other cultures, family ties are the most significant. And in Jesus' day, family ties were the most significant. So for Jesus to say this is, is outrageous. It sounds like he's, he's rejecting his family, but he's not. He's just saying, actually, there's a bigger family that you're invited to be part of. When Jesus is crucified on the cross, one of the last things that he does is make sure that his mother is provided for. He asks his disciple John to take her into his home and look after her. Jesus loves his family with all his heart. He's just saying, actually, we're invited to be part of a bigger family, the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus invites us into. So Jesus says, look, this this light is shining for you to see. Will you see it? Will you respond? Will you come to the light and let it change who you are? Will you let the words of God change your life? Will you hear them, listen to them, put them into practice? Because when we do that, then we in turn become a star that shines in the universe. We become the light that shines to others. So we're going to take a few moments for us to reflect on the word of God and for us to think about our calling those of us who are followers of Jesus to shine like stars how do we how do we feel about Paul's testimony Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel despite the opposition that it brought him he said I'm not ashamed of the gospel Because it's the power of God to bring life. Let's in these moments ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. Encourage us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you you are present with us here in this place. And our hearts and minds are are open to you. We want to hear your voice. We want your light to shine more brightly in us. We want Jesus to be the centre of everything that we are. Holy Spirit, would you um, embolden us to speak of you?
perhaps even in these moments, Lord, would you, would you lay on our hearts one person who we will see this week that we may have opportunity to share something of you with? A family member or a friend, someone that we meet at work or in the community. Lord, we're asking for boldness that you would be that, the fire in our hearts, the fire that Jeremiah spoke about that burned so brightly in his heart that he, he just had to speak of you. Jesus, we want to be like that in these days. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, rest upon us. Thank you.